0: Well, hi, and welcome to another episode of On the Couch with myself, Henry Jennings, from Marcus Today. And as usual with all these podcasts, it is general advice only. So any thoughts, ideas, or insights that we discuss on this podcast is just general advice. So seek help if you need it. Well, today I'm really pleased to be joined by a gentleman in Melbourne who's uh, struggling through COVID down there, ton Linko, who's the executive chair of Beyond Zero Emissions which is uh, an internationally recognised climate change think tank. And I know that Eitan has been very busy during this period because he's come up with uh, a plan to help us get out of the current recession that we're in in Australia, which is, I guess, a slightly uh, left of field plan compared to the government's plan. So looking forward to hearing about that. Uh, Eitan is also an active successful business entrepreneur as well, founder of Outwear Mobile, one of Australia's fastest growing tech companies, which was acquired in 2017. And he's also an investor and mentor in a number of startups. So I'm um, really looking forward to talking to Eitan. So welcome, Eitan. How are you this morning? I'm going great. Yeah, thanks, Henry. Must be. Excellent. Well, thank you for doing this. This is really a pleasure to get you on the podcast. So first of all, let's kick off and just discuss a little bit about Beyond Zero Emissions, the think tank that you're very heavily involved in. What's that all about?
1: Yeah, so Beyond Zero Emissions is a not-for-profit, we call it a climate and energy solutions think tank that shows how Australia can thrive through a transition to a zero emissions economy. And what attracted me to Beyond Zero Emissions with my technical engineering background is that it's, you know, it's a pretty unusual organisation that it brings together engineers uh, and technical experts to really work out almost literally, how we can move to this new economy and what the benefits are and how we do it in a way that kind of, you know, helps the economy and creates jobs, uh, which is very different to the, to the at least what the narrative used to be, that all of this stuff, you know, costs money and is expensive and that we have to do it, but, you know, there's a cost involved, where what we do is really show the incredible opportunities that we have as a, as a country. For example, um, you know, Beyond Zero Emissions was the, put a report out in 2016 called Renewable Energy Superpower, which really coined that phrase and, uh, you know, kind of popularised that idea of Australia, you know, with our incredible renewable resources, that if we could harness that, you know, we've got an opportunity to be the, the energy superpower of the world uh, in this new paradigm that we're moving to. So it's, it's been a really fun and exciting organisation to work with, especially with my um, with my tech background.
0: Yeah, it's, it sounds exciting, and it's it's a fantastic goal to have as well. And you guys have come up with a million jobs plan, I believe. Uh, what sort of uh, jobs are you seeing for the future of Australia in this plan?
1: Yeah, so the million jobs plan. We started working on that back in March when it was kind of clear that Australia was going to get into an economic hole, as you know, due to the, due to our necessary response to COVID nineteen, and we knew that there was going to come a time where the conversation was going to move to, to stimulus and how do we recover our economy from, from this crisis. And we really wanted to, to bring all of the work that we've done over the last 10 years together to make sure there is a good option on the table for how we can, you know, really what what, what we see as enacting good stimulus. And for us, good stimulus is when you back a trend that's already in place, so you accelerate something that's, that's already happening, because if you do that, then you're bringing jobs forward from the future when they're, you know, going to happen anyway and you're bringing them forward to today when you need them. But also by backing a trend, it means that you can get private investment on board and it's not just the public or the government that needs to do all of the heavy lifting. And we'd say, and I think there's, you know, it's pretty undoubtable now that um, digitisation and decarbonisation is really the, the big mega trend uh, and they're both obviously interrelated. So the Million Jobs Plan really shows, you know, what are the initiatives, you know, we've looked across all the sectors of the economy and kind of picked out the initiatives that are going to accelerate those trends. Uh, and then we showed, you know, if we push a bit harder on those, how many jobs we could create in each of those sectors. So, you know, for example, I mean, the most obvious one is, you know, speeding up the rollout of, of renewable infrastructure and transmission because cheap, low-cost renewable energy really underpins um, the rest of the plan. So just doing that would create could create 200,000 jobs over the next five years. And then we talk about things like building retrofits. So, you know, we've got the technology now and, the, and the technology is cheap enough that we can get every home in Australia to, um, to basically have no energy bills, you know, to, to be equivalent zero emissions homes at, at, a, you know, at a cost that, that pays itself back pretty quickly. So we're, we're talking about a really scaled-up scheme to do that that could create 940,000 jobs over the next five years. And that's in, you know, in regional areas, in, in industries like construction that, that really need that. Um, that stimulus. And then, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about more. I won't go through every every section, but you can think about the different sectors. So mining and manufacturing, for example, you know, is not normally considered something that a, that a climate solutions think tank might think about, but, you know, we've got incredible opportunities in those areas. So by electrifying our manufacturing industry, we can get them off expensive gas, which is where the conversation is at the moment, and get them onto low-cost renewables. The whole world is looking for zero-emission supply chains, plus you know, we could do that at a lower energy cost than any other country in the world. So it's a huge opportunity for Australia, similar to mining. You know, we can electrify our mine sites. We have the technology now and a lot of mine, miners are already doing that. Um, you know, and as the world moves to those, again, those zero-emissions supply chains, um, we can both mine competitively because we've got low energy costs and we can supply that demand for, um, for zero-emissions materials. Um, so, again, hundreds of thousands of jobs in those initiatives.
0: It's interesting, isn't it? I was listening to the uh, ABC this morning talking about Boris Johnson's plan for the UK and his plan involves, I think, every household in the UK being powered by renewable wind power by 2030. Have I I got that right?
1: Yeah, that that was just announced today. I I haven't had a chance to look too far into the detail, but I mean, that's an example of the thinking. I mean, we did a plan, for example, last year for the Northern Territory which is quite similar. Like, you know, if you've got access to an incredible resource, and, and for so long we've thought of our resources as, you know, the things under the ground, but we need to start thinking above the ground now um, in terms of the resources. The, the incredible amount of photons that um, that fall on Australia, you know, are a resource that, that we can mine and that we can use to, to have a competitive advantage. And same with the wind. And the, the incredible thing about Australia when you look at our renewable resource map is... You know, every, basically every single spot in Australia either has incredible sun or incredible wind. And in some lucky places, they have both. So, you know, considering <laughs> that the UK is much smaller than Australia, has a larger population, um, you know, and is more constrained in terms of where they can do stuff, you know, the fact that they can put a plan up that that's ambitious, um, you know, and is economically feasible. I mean, in Australia, it's, it's just completely, a, um, you know, you'd almost say it's a no-brainer.
0: You would, wouldn't you? You would think so, but uh, only today, I guess we're just in the sort of the throes of the budget. Last night, when we're recording this, and clearly that there wasn't a lot of focus on renewables from the budget. Was that disappointing for you?
1: Well, I think there's, there's,
0: uh, you know,
1: there's, there's positives to be taken. I mean, BZ is a, a relentlessly optimistic organisation. You know, we're always showing a positive vision, and and you know, we have the the million jobs plan. Uh, you know, did get a lot of attention with the government. We we launched it. We've been speaking to the government about it. We briefed them. Um, you know, it was submitted um, as part as a you know as a submission to the budget. And there are definitely fingerprints of the plan that have that have come through um, in the budget. I mean, if you add up the numbers, it's around three and a half billion dollars in the budget that go to the kinds of clean. Economy initiatives that we're talking about. I mean, that's not on the scale of what's happening in other countries, but you know, it's it's, it's um you know definitely a step forward uh, for this government. And you know, if you want to if you want to compare that the ledger, you know, to, to money that's been put into things like gas infrastructure, it's only fifty three million dollars. So there's a huge difference in terms of the amount um, that's, that's going into the clean economy. Um, but you know, we, we need to. We're coming from a low base in Australia in terms of our uh, in terms of the the um, the, the concept at a federal level um, of this sort of thing being able to create jobs and boost the economy, so you know I think they're taking taking steps um, and it 's our job to make sure that they see
0: that those steps are successful uh, and continue on that path baby steps, I guess uh, the journey of a thousand miles et cetera so uh, it's good to see some steps being taken that 's for sure now now obviously overseas we're seeing a, a great uh, push with electric cars, electric vehicles, and there's been a lot of talk, especially in the stock market, about the battery technology that's around. And there was a huge focus on the Tesla battery day. It became this sort of landmark event, which was a little bit of a fizzle, I have to say. Uh, certainly from a market perspective, um, how do you see the future of playing out in terms of electric cars and battery technology at the moment? There's there's some big strides, and there's the million mile uh, batteries. That is really sort of the, the goal of many of these players. How do you see that the technology and the pace that we're um, embracing this?
1: Well, it's very easy. I think with electric vehicles, and you know, you could say the same about renewables and a lot of other all of these decarbonisation technologies. I mean, there's there's has there ever been a clearer signal that there's a there's a shift underway? Like it's it's very easy to look forward, say twenty, thirty years, and picture that every car that's going to be sold will be an electric vehicle. I mean, that's, that's very few people that would argue. Against that. I mean, every car company is putting the majority of its of its r and d dollars into electric vehicles. There's just so much energy and effort, you know the costs of batteries are coming down at this kind of similar kind of pace that we saw solar uh, come down ten years ago. So there's incredible momentum. I guess we're just at that at that weird awkward point that we were probably ten years ago with solar. again, where you know there's still just that probably a bit too much a bit too expensive for the average person to consider buying one. You know, Australia's been dragging its feet in terms of incentives, um, you know, unlike some other countries. You know, we all know about Norway where, um, you know, it's well above 60% of cars, new cars sold now are, are electric. And I think just so in Germany, it's up to 20% due to, um, you know, a range of government incentives that they've, they've announced post-COVID. It's it's definitely happening, and, and we need to be prepared for it. And I think anyone that's that's investing um, that isn't thinking about those mega trends is going to get run over eventually. Because the the, the nature of exponential growth is you know it's one percent of the market, two percent of the market, four percent of the market, and then before you know it, it's suddenly fifty, sixty percent of the market. And there's a lot of commentary at the moment that's showing that um you know oil has obviously come off the boil, um, you know with the with the drop of demand, you know with COVID. But I think even before that, we were seeing you know, petrol, gas-powered cars' sales were dropping year on year or everywhere around the world because I think consumers, you know, the people are holding back. They don't want to buy their next car until it's an electric car because they're wary of kind of being the last person that's holding on a petrol-powered car they can never sell. So, um, you know, that's, that's meaning that oil growth has tapered off. And we're just beginning at the beginning bit of that major structural change Uh, where things are going to start moving really
0: quickly. It's interesting. I I saw this week as well when you were talking about electric vehicles that Honda is actually pulling out of making engines for Formula 1 cars because they're going to concentrate more on the electric side of things, leaving a big gap in the market, I guess, in in Formula 1 at least. But but it's interesting to see. I
1: mean, Formula 1 was always meant to be an arena, where new tech is experimented on, you know, that's where the car makers could really pull out all the, all the stops and, and all the crazy stuff they're working on they could put into a, a Formula One car. And so, if that's Formula 1 is now using the old technology, yeah. you can understand why um, car makers aren't interested.
0: Just getting back, uh, Aitan, to uh, renewables and that side of things, there's been a, a lot of talk recently about hydrogen and, and, and that side of things as well. Is that something that you've been uh, looking at as well in, in, in terms of uh, renewable technology?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, hydrogen is going to be a really necessary part of this transition. I mean, hydrogen, you can think of it as, a, um, as an energy Store so you know in those times where we've got a huge amount of solar um, energy being produced and you know in excess to, to what's required, that's a really great opportunity to put that excess you know what becomes really cheap energy into producing something like hydrogen and, you know, hydrogen is a zero emissions fuel when it's produced by by renewables. Like when you burn it, it just turns back into, into water again. And then it, it'll also have a really important uh, role to play in decarbonising some of our industries like like steel manufacturing, which is going to need hydrogen to be able to move to a zero emissions process. So hydrogen will be critical, but, you know, I'm, I'm for example, I'm on the um, Northern Territory Economic Reconstruction Commission and, and hydrogen is one of the things that we're looking at up there as well. And, and it is, hydrogen's, it's, it's difficult because it's a new industry, you've got to get it off the ground and you've got this real chicken and the egg issue of, you know, you can create the supply but you need the demand uh, there, you know, to be able to, to economically create that supply. So you've got to really, there's a role for government to play that matchmaking role when when developing a new industry to get involved and, and you know, we understand that it's going to be this huge, hugely important uh, national initiative uh, going forward, and now is really the time we need to start getting some runs on the board and working out how to do it. So that there are, there is money in the budget to start doing that, to, to put together a hydrogen hub. It's just really critical to understand that the demand for hydrogen in the future is just going to be for renewable hydrogen. There is no demand for gas-based hydrogen, because at the moment you could just get the gas and make it yourself. Why, why turn it into hydrogen and have all the issues with shipping it? So the only demand is going to be for renewables, so we just need to make sure that our you know, we're going to put public money into developing the industry. Those are the skills that we need to develop.
0: Uh, just for the dummies amongst us, and, and me in particular, uh, when you talk about uh, hydrogen and, and, and renewable hydrogen or, or gas hydrogen uh, or, or a byproduct of gas, how, how is the process? I mean, what what is the actual process to extract hydrogen on a renewable basis?
1: Yeah, so uh, it's it's pretty easy to explain because hydrogen, you generate it. In, from a renewable basis, you have something called an electrolyzer, which you, know, you can think of it as a way of putting electrical energy uh, in, in, into something and you, you put, have an electrolyzer in water and then that energy splits. The, you know, you've got water is H2O and it splits the, H, the H's from the O and, and you have the hydrogen that, um, that, that comes out and oxygen that comes out and you keep the hydrogen and then you can do something with the hydrogen. And then, you know, when you when you burn it on the other side, the hydrogen gets, you know, you combust it with oxygen and it turns back into water again. So it's a zero emissions fuel. So at the moment today, uh, the renewable process is more expensive than than the gas process. But, you know, there's, again, similar to electric vehicles, just a huge amount of R&D dollars. I mean, Europe have just announced, you know, they're putting $20 billion into, into producing, you know, a huge amount of, of effort into... Electrolyzer research and all the, all the supply chain research that's going to need to get renewable hydrogen costs down. And kind of like all of these initiatives, we're, we're seeing the costs starting to come down faster than even the most optimistic forecasts suggested. So, you know, given when, when the world really decides to get on with something and, and you start seeing this huge amount of uh, funding from all around the world, things generally happen pretty fast. So we need to, um, we need to, Australia needs to make sure that we're at the table.
0: Yes we don't want to be left behind in this one with uh, with all the resources that we've got, especially with uh, with gas et cetera um, now you're obviously um, a serial entrepreneur as they they say as a cliche comes and it would seem at the moment that we do have a, a pretty good environment for um, tech entrepreneurship there's a lot of companies coming to the market there's a lot of ipos there seems to be a lot of funding around for these um, startups. Anybody out there listening who's sort of contemplating either investing in or, or even uh, starting one themselves, what advice would you give in terms of uh, investing or actually starting a, uh, a new sort of technology company in this environment?
1: Well, it's interesting because I think one of, the, one of the most important things with starting a startup is getting your timing right. You know, you can have a great idea, but if it's at the wrong time, uh, it's very difficult to make things work. And historically, during a recession has been a great time. To um to to create a startup. I mean, my, my business we created we we founded it in 2009, just after the last global financial crisis, and it was a time of great disruption. You know, um, it was a business that focused in the in the mobile space. You know, and the iPhone had just come out, and the App Store just came came out, and so there was an opportunity for new businesses to come in and play in that niche because the big businesses weren't across it, and you could kind of you know plant the seed and and grow. You know, hopefully, really fast before the uh, before the bigger companies had a come in, had a chance to come in and take that niche. So you know, we're, we're in a recession now. So you know, that ticks a box. You know, there's disruption happening all around us. And I'd say that this that mega trend I was talking about, a decarbonisation, is is the big kind of tailwind that that startups can latch onto to to really grow quickly and, and establish a niche. So there's so many different areas to play in them, I and you've mentioned a few already. Obviously, there's batteries, there's the electrification of transport, there's, you know, the whole uh, area of, um, of home energy efficiency and, and smart grids and all that sort of stuff. You know, all, all of these things have digitization and software in common as well as decarbonisation. So there's lots of really interesting areas for entrepreneurs to play. What is probably different about this disruption is that we, we really need to do things at a really Big scale, so being able to deploy is really important, and deployment usually needs a huge, you know, a large amount of capital, which isn't usually where startups—what startups are great at. So I think there's, you know, there's, there's really interesting combinations of ideas now where you're bringing together um, big capital with innovative new ideas to be able to um, to do startups in a different way and think about deploying stuff. So a good example I might give is, uh, is five B. Is a modular solar startup, and they've teamed up with this big project up in the Northern Territory called Sun Cable, which is looking to build the world's biggest solar farm and export that electricity out to um, Singapore. And by kind of hitching that startup Five B hitching their their wagon to Sun Cable, you know they've got a they've got a pathway there to really large scale deployment of their modular solar technology, which is. Which is world leading, so you know you've got to think. You know, as always, you've got to think differently. Um, every every moment in time is different, but there's definitely some key criteria at the moment which are, which are provide a good base for startups to to um, to grow.
0: Thanks for that. That that's really useful and good to um, good to know that uh, we are doing pretty well in, in some areas. But we're we're a kind of we're a stock market newsletter. Let's, let's face it, and we're looking at ways, I guess, to help our membership make money and invest in, enlisted things or things that are or maybe in the IPO pipeline as well because there does seem to be a few of those what are there any tech companies in Australia that on the ASX that have caught your eye as something that uh, investors should be looking at a lot more closely especially in the renewables field I guess
1: yeah I mean there are a few it's it's uh, you know I'm loath to give um, stock market advice but you know I think I think. Some of those trends we're talking about again, you know. There's 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 companies in Australia. So you know, if you think about, you know, if we move fast, you know, if you think about what's happening in the world, China's just announced net zero by 2060. You know, there's a reasonable chance that Joe Biden will win the um, presidency in America, and he's got you know a two trillion dollar plan to decarbonize America, and, and you know transform that country. Europe's just announced their Green New Deal. South Korea has put $150 billion into um, greening their economy. So there's trillions and trillions of dollars that, that are going to be running around the world looking um, to deploy these technologies and what those technologies have in common is often the, the materials um, beneath them, the critical minerals, the lithium, um, you know, the, the, the nickel, the copper, all that sort of stuff where, where Australia is really well-placed to, um, to 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 um, to benefit from that transition, so you know, there's there's lots of companies out there that are that are working in those fields, and they're probably worth having a look at. Obviously, again, it's difficult to set up a new mining operation. You know, there's timing, there's there's all sorts of questions. So I won't go into company by company, but you know, obviously, there's a trend there. So you need to look at how you can benefit from that. And then there's companies that are looking to um, to go a step further and and um, actually process minerals create hydrogen is that there's a few hydrogen um, you know, stocks on the, on the Australian stock market that are that, you know, fledgling hydrogen companies, and you'll have to make the assessment whether they're quality companies or not. Um, but you know, I think if you're just thinking about that trend and you're looking at the companies, who's, who's going to benefit from this trend? Um, and who's on the wrong, the wrong side of this trend. And, you know, probably stronger recommendation than who to invest in, you know, is probably who not to invest in. And if, if there's a company that you think, you know, look for 10, 20 years, what happens if the world decarbonizes faster than we, we expect, is this company on the wrong side of that, then, you know, I'd be, I'd be you know, thinking about getting out of that company.
0: Yeah, that, that's some pretty good advice there, I have to say. Eitan, uh, um, thank you very much for uh, for chatting to us today. It's been really... Lovely to talk to you. Um, I know that you're in uh, in Melbourne in the midst still of uh, COVID lockdown, so it can't have been easy. And, and you've got uh, three young kids as well. So um, times have been uh, interesting, I guess, for you in the last Few months, that's for sure. Yeah,
1: definitely. I can't wait to come up to um, to Sydney and, and uh, meet you
0: for coffee. <laughs> <laughs> it just seems like an incredible dream. Uh, it, uh, I know it's weird, isn't it? It's very surreal. We've got uh, the rest of our team in, in Victoria and Melbourne all struggling under lockdown, and here in Sydney, where I am, it's uh, it's a very different. It's it's very normal and it's very surreal. Apart from when you look up at the sky and there's no airplanes, and that's um, that's kind of strange. It's there's always planes in the sky but not anymore so i guess that's the the biggest sort of manifestation at the moment is international air travel and even domestic air travel
1: i bought bought an electric car not that long before all of this that i really haven't had a chance to drive at all because you're not allowed to go more than five kilometers uh from home at the moment in melbourne so the second we we can get out we're we're loading the family in and we're going to go on an electric journey up the coast and see how far we get
0: and and well, that's that's interesting, isn't it? I mean, when you, when you go and there's lots of road trips going on at the moment. Everyone's doing the national lampoon uh, road trip, I, I guess. Um, what's in terms of range of the electric vehicles now, and, and you know the confidence you have in actually being able to charge uh, mid road trip? How, how does that? Um, how, how's that at the moment?
1: Well, I mean, the range is pretty good. Got, you, you can pretty confidently get say around 400 kilometres. On a charge, I've got a Tesla Model Three, so right. you know, that's, that's the edge. And then you've got access with the Tesla. You've got access to you know the the
0: normal charging network, but also the Tesla superchargers. So you know there's there's lots of apps out there
1: that show you where all the charges are. You know, in, in the Tesla itself, it'll when you route. You know, when you asked to go a long distance, it'll automatically route itself to stop at at charges along the way and fill up if it if it needs to. So I think the East Coast you know obviously we could we you know we need more infrastructure and the question will be how many cars are there you know are these are these chargers full or are they empty when you get there but i think just in terms of locations you can get i mean there's plenty of there's people that have driven the whole way around australia but particularly the east coast i think um, you know getting to the point where it's, it's it's well served enough to be able to do a road trip
0: well good good luck with your road trip i'm sure you'll be uh, celebrating when the lockdown finally finishes in Victoria and Melbourne, and, and you're able to take the kids on that well-earned break. Eitan, thanks very much for uh, for your time today. Really enjoyed chatting to you. We'll have to get you back on uh, at some stage, and maybe we can uh, get an update on how things are going. But it certainly does look an exciting and hopefully zero-emission future in store for uh, Australia at some stage.
1: We'll get there. Thanks, Henry.
0: Thanks, Eitan.